As we celebrate Christmas each year, it is a reminder that God is not just sitting up in heaven watching what goes on down here, but he's personally involved. He's doing something about the tremendous needs of our world through sending his son as our savior. More than that, he invites each of us to be a part of what he's up to. That's why every December we draw a special attention to international missions like this video showed. It provides a concrete and practical way to give us a chance to be involved in what God is doing in the world through our praying, as we have a prayer guide each year, and through our giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Because whether it's working with Syrian refugees or feeding and clothing the poor in places like Africa and Southeast Asia, God and his people are reaching into the darkness to provide hope. That's why we show this video, to help us catch a glimpse of what's happening and how we can play a part through our support and our gifts. Because the needs are great, but do we really see them? Or are we so busy with our own lives, we walk right on by without noticing? In one of the best known of his parables, Jesus tells a story about that. It's a story about a man who was so busy taking care of himself that he didn't see the needs of someone literally at his doorstep. And when he finally did notice, it was too late to help both this man and himself. The parable to which I'm referring is the story of the rich man and Lazarus found in Luke chapter 16, if you want to turn there. As he begins, Jesus sets the context of the story in the first three verses, and it becomes the basis for what follows. Verse 19 begins, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Yet even the dogs came and licked at his sores. In setting the context, Jesus describes this rich man in two ways, by his dress and by his diet. He's said to be dressed in purple. It's a reference to a very expensive outer garment that got its color from a precious and rare dye made from the murex shellfish. Such garments were worn almost exclusively by important princes and nobles. Further describing his wealth and his dress, Jesus says that he wore also fine linen. This is a term he used that referred to the highest quality of undergarment that would have been made in Egypt. Such undergarments were said to have been worth twice their weight in gold. They were so valuable. And so in this very short description of his dress, Jesus says that this man is not just rich, he's royalty. In addition to his dress, Jesus said he lived in luxury every day. You know, we, starting at Thanksgiving and then Christmas and coming up with New Year's, we're surrounded by food for a whole month, aren't we? Parties, feasting, and we make allowances for our indulgence because it's such a special time of year. Imagine eating that way every day. Jesus said that was this rich man's normal fare Because a more literal interpretation of this would be he feasted sumptuously every day. He not just ate well, but every day was a banquet. And in introducing the rich man in such a way, Jesus 
is not just saying he had a lot of money, but here's somebody important, at least by the world's standards. And in vivid contrast to this then, laying right outside his gate, literally on his doorstep, is a man named Lazarus, who has nothing. Jesus is just as descriptive of his circumstances as he was of the rich man. He calls him a beggar. Literally, he was destitute. He uses a very strong term referring to the poorest of the poor, someone who had absolutely nothing to their name. It says he was laid at the man's gate, which implies that he was crippled, therefore completely dependent on others, not just for his food, but even to get around. There was no lottery to win, no rich uncle waiting off in the wings. Lazarus had no hope that things would ever change for him. In contrast to the royal garments of the rich man, Lazarus was covered and clothed with open sores. And while the rich man feasted, he was starving, longing to eat what fell from the man's table. Now in those days, people didn't use utensils like forks and knives or even chopsticks, but they used their hands. And they didn't have napkins and running water to wash with. And so especially the rich would tear off chunks of bread to wipe their hands on and then they just drop it onto the floor for the servants to clean up later or for the dogs to come and eat. Too weak from hunger to keep the dogs from tormenting him and licking his sores, Lazarus longed even to be able to eat these scraps that the rich people used to wipe their hands with. It's a stark contrast between lifestyles of these two. And it's telling that the one whom the world would have regarded as important isn't significant enough to even be given a name. On the other hand, it's Lazarus who is named. The one most would have passed right on by without a second glance. And because he does have a name, it's Jesus' way of saying, here is somebody. He's not part of the nameless, faceless mass. All those people in the world that we'll be able to hear about Christ because our gifts to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, they have names. They are somebody to God. He cares, and that's why we give and why people go. Consistently throughout Scripture, God cares about the poor. Those the world considers insignificant hold a special place in his heart. This is, in fact, the only parable Jesus gives where one of the characters has a name. And his name, Nazareth, means God is my help. Man would not help him, but God would. What a contrast. One living in opulence and abundance who remains nameless, while in his, at his steps is one in dire poverty he cared little for, who relies upon God for his help. The passage doesn't say the rich man drove Lazarus away. He wasn't wicked or immoral. It simply shows him happily going about his business, unaware of the needs at his doorstep. Busy enjoying his life, but oblivious to others. He did nothing because he didn't want to be bothered. And that's Jesus' warning for us as well. We usually think of sin as being about the bad things we do, Here, it's the things the man didn't do. Judged by what he left undone. Sins of omission. Where we're not told just to do no harm, we're also told 
to do good and to show compassion. It's a very similar message that Jesus gave in another one of his best-known parables about the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, where his judgment again of the goats is based not on breaking the commandments or hurting people or things like that that we often associate with sin, but rather they didn't help the poor and the needy. Jesus says, I was hungry and you didn't give me anything to eat. Thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was naked and you didn't help me dress me. I was sick and in prison. You never visited. And when they asked why, when did we do this? He said, when you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. It should give us all cause to wonder about our own lives from time to time. What we may be missing because we don't want to be bothered. We don't want to see the needs at our doorsteps. How many people are there in our lives who, like Lazarus, are just there? We don't harm them, but we don't really do any good for them either. We don't pay attention. In the novel Madame Bovary, the central character is Emmett Bovary. She's married to a simple-minded country doctor who's named Charles. Throughout the story, he's pictured as a bumbler, and yet he's very much in love with his wife. And even though she's married to him, Emma doesn't seem to really know that he's alive. Throughout the whole story, she desperately longs and seeks for that prince in shining armor to come and whisk her away from what she considers such a humdrum existence. And finally, after repeated adulterous affairs with no success in finding what she's searching for, she's tired, she's disillusioned, she's in despair, and she commits suicide. And as she's laying, dying in her husband's arms, she looks up into his eyes, and for the very first time, she sees the love that she had so desperately been trying to find. So often, we can look for happiness and for meaning, and they're right at our doorstep, but we don't take the time to look. How many people are there around us who, like Lazarus, are facing real needs while They're going about their lives, surviving, but they're invisible to us. It can be so simple sometimes, simply to take time to bring joy by helping others who have a word of encouragement, a phone call, a letter, a few dollars to help missionaries go so that people can hear and find hope in life. Support to the missions offering is one small way we get involved in touching the needs of the world, of saying we will not ignore, we will not remain blind. They're not invisible to God, and they shouldn't be to us. Of course, that doesn't replace our own need to be involved in touching those at our own doorstep as well. Well, after setting the context for his story, Jesus moves on to the body. In verse 22, he says, The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides, all this between us and you is a great chasm, 
which has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. The man answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. In death, circumstances are reversed. Facing the consequences of his lack of compassion towards the poor, the rich man, it says, finds himself in hell, while Lazarus is in paradise with Abraham. And yet still the rich man didn't get it. Remember the mother of James and John came to Jesus one time and he asked, can one of my sons be seated at your right and the other on your left? She's asking him to give them the seats of honor. That's what Jesus is referring to here when he says Lazarus was carried to Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. In this life, he was unimportant. The rich man was the one who had the position of honor, but now it's reversed as Lazarus is at the side of Abraham using the phrase, which means literally he's in the place of intimacy and closeness, of importance and honor with Abraham. And the rich man refuses to see it still. So he says to Abraham, tell him to come and give me some water. Take care of my needs, is what he's saying. When that doesn't work, he asks Abraham, well, tell Lazarus, to go to my brothers. He's still giving orders, thinking Lazarus is there to serve his needs, that Lazarus is unimportant, insignificant, nothing more than a servant, even though he was sitting in the seat of honor. It's like that popular story, children's story, that most of us are familiar with of the giving tree, a pointed way of showing how blind we can be to those around us, treating them with indifference, as though they're there just to care for our needs. Remember the story? It's about a tree who loved a boy. They played hide-and-seek when the boy was young. He swung from her branches, climbed all over her, ate her apples, and on hot afternoons would sleep in her shade. They were happy, carefree days, and the tree loved those childhood years. But the boy grew and spent less and less time with the tree, and on one occasion the young man returned. Come, let's play, invited the tree. But the boy was only interested in money. Well, take my apples and sell them, said the tree. And the boy did, and the tree was happy. He didn't return for a long time, but the tree smiled when he passed by one day. Come, let's play, my friend, come play. But the boy, now full grown, wanted to build a house for himself. Cut off my branches and build your house the tree offered, and the boy did, and once again, the tree was happy. Years dragged by, and the tree missed the boy. Suddenly, she saw him in the distance. Come on, let's play, but the man was older and tired of his world. He wanted to get away from it all, so the tree said, cut me down, take my large trunk, and make for yourself a boat. Then you can sail away, said the tree, and that's exactly what the boy did, and the tree was happy. Many seasons passed, summers and winters, windy day and lonely nights, and the tree waited. Finally, the old man returned, too old, too tired to play, to pursue riches, to build houses, or to sail the seas. Well, I have a pretty good stump left, my friend, said the tree. Why don't you just sit down here and rest with me? And he did, and the tree was happy. 
There's a real problem for us if we're rushing through life with our eyes only on ourselves, ignorant of the needs of the world around us, people we pass along the way, seeing them as only they relate to our needs and our wants and our desires as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We can be like that boy in the giving tree, so caught up with things we want to get done, we no longer notice, willing to take, but not to give in return. That's an important reason we support missions. It helps us provide an outlet so we don't become like the rich man in the story, so consumed with ourselves we fail to notice the needs at our doorstep. But even better than giving can be going to be involved in missions ourselves on things like this short-term mission project coming this summer to Taiwan. An opportunity for us to personally be involved. And if that doesn't work for our schedules, we have sister churches throughout the state who are constantly sending mission teams around the world. There's a team now from Pearl City working in an orphanage in Cambodia. These teams would all welcome others from other churches to join them. Because for those who have eyes to see, there are opportunities all around us. Jesus said, he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And Abraham said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not even be convinced if someone rises from the dead. Now is the time to be involved with people, not wait for someday when we think things will be easier. Learning to make the most of the opportunities. In the first church I pastored, there was a long-time member named Lillian. She had had a, a hard life. Her husband was abusive. At one point, she had fled from Hawaii to try to escape him, but he found her in Southern California, and he followed her there. And over the years, she endured a a lot from him just to stay and raise her children. And over the years, she tried to talk to him about Christ, but he wouldn't listen. She raised all her children in church, and each one of them made commitments at one point or another And yet as adults, not one of them were involved in a church or in their faith. They were too busy. It wasn't important for them. While I was pastoring there, the husband became seriously ill with cancer. It reached the point where he was literally on his deathbed. No hope for him to recover. And it was only at that point the son, one of the sons, became frantic, insisting I had to share the gospel with him. Only then, on his father's deathbed, did the son become concerned with eternity. How many people all around us are dying without Christ because we fail to say the word when we have the opportunity? Only when it strikes close to home, when it's almost too late, do we see the need. It's the same attitude which says, well, if they're interested, they'll ask me. If they really want to get involved, they'll find a way. We place our responsibility on others, but it's us who have the light of the gospel. We're the ones responsible 
because of what we've been given in Jesus Christ. The rich man's guilt was not a result of intentional cruelty. It was simply being too busy and caught up in himself. He didn't take the time. We can't, must not be like the rich man in Jesus' story, so caught up in our own life, we don't see the people at our doorstep. God gives us an opportunity, whether it's through giving to missions or going ourselves or simply being involved in some small way with the needs around us here in our community. Because ultimately, God at Christmas became one of us to be involved. And he invites us to be with him. Will we be involved as the new year begins in the things God wants to do in our world? To not be blind to the needs around us, but to be aware and active and involved. We celebrate baptism to end the year. Wonderful way to end the year. We're also going to have baptism to begin the new year next week. That's what it's about. Life and hope and a future. Will we be a part? The worship team comes. Will you join me in prayer? Our Father, as we close this time of worship together, we thank you that we have hope because of the one who came, who lived, who gave himself for us at the cross and the victory over death itself at the empty tomb. We thank you for that life that now you call us to share, that hope and that future. Help us to be aware of the needs of the people around us, God, in the world that can be a very dark place, and yet all the darkness in the world cannot extinguish your light. Help us to shine that light, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.